You're listening to Audible Impact, the podcast from the Impact blog at the London School of Economics. I'm Sierra Williams. The Impact blog publishes daily posts from leading academics on the visibility, evaluation, and diversity of academic research. You can visit us at lseimpact.com. In this episode, we look at what happens when academics turn enemy of the state. The year is 1933, and Nazi party leader Adolf Hitler is rapidly consolidating power in Germany. He is granted full power as chancellor, which accelerates his party's grip on the country. Nazi anti-Semitic rhetoric escalates into the targeted expulsion of Jews from public life. With Nazi ideas infiltrating even universities, some students adopt aggressive Nazi stances. Infamously, in May of 1933, the German Student Association burned thousands of so-called anti-German books from university libraries, including the works of Walter Benjamin, Sigmund Freud, and Franz Kafka. Jewish academics found themselves in an increasingly hostile environment. Many abandoned their posts and fled the country altogether. As events in Germany unfolded, William Beveridge, then director of the London School of Economics, met with Jewish-Hungarian physicist Leo Szilard, who told him of the plight of Germany's Jews. And Beveridge came back to the UK, uh, resolved with his academic colleagues to do something to help rescue those people and make it possible for them to start uh, new careers where they could carry on their academic work. That's Stephen Wordsworth, executive director of the Council for At-Risk Academics, CARA, as Beveridge's group came to be known. In six years from 1933 to the beginning of the war in 1939, CARA helped one and a half thousand academics rebuild their lives and careers elsewhere. Included amongst them were 18 Nobel Prize winners. We are concerned not merely with the technical problem of securing and maintaining peace, That's Albert Einstein speaking at a fundraiser for the Council. Without such freedom, there would have been no Shakespeare, no Goethe, no Newton, no Faraday, no Pasteur, and no Lisa. If you're going to see progress, if you're going to see technological advance, if you're going to see spiritual and cultural advance, You have to be free. You have to be able to say what you think. You have to be able to debate freely. Even as World War II drew to a close and a thousand more scholars from around Europe benefited from the Council's assistance, academic freedom continued to be challenged across Europe with the coming of the Cold War and ongoing conflicts in Greece and Hungary. When this was founded in 1933 and for those first six years, I think Beveridge and the rest of them thought they were dealing with one particular problem, Nazi Germany, and that was it. Of course, after the war, they realized that wasn't it. So as CARA reached its 80th anniversary last year, it was careful not to treat this milestone as a celebration. Rather, CARA's existence marks an unfortunate reality for academics around the world. In its Middle East program alone, where civil wars have compromised the careers and threatened the lives of academics from Iraq to Syria, 107 academics and 100 of their dependents sought CARA's assistance. Today, CARA works with nearly 100 universities in the UK to support the needs of these academics. It would be wonderful if there was no need for us. If everything was wonderful and peaceful and everyone was treated with respect, uh, there would be no need for an organisation like CARA. 
Uh, that isn't going to happen. We've been going out for 80 years. The needs, if anything, are increasing. Sadly, there is plenty of work for us to do. That was Stephen Wordsworth of CARA, the Council for At-Risk Academics. Cheryl Brumley met with two scholars who, after being forced to leave their home countries, rebuilt their lives in the UK with CARA's assistance. She picks it up from here. James, not his real name, was born and raised in Uzbekistan. After finishing a graduate degree, he decided to take his studies further and focus on a discipline that, although common in other countries, had only begun to emerge in his home country, which is most known for its authoritarian government and repressive laws. I, I did a PhD in international law, basically um, concentrating on international treaties on human rights. It was a, a newly introduced discipline to Uzbekistan because human rights, as per se, was never taught as, as a subject. But his chosen area of research had suddenly taken on an uncomfortable relevance to his own life. Human rights is such a personal thing. You don't realize how precious it is until it really touches you. And it did create, let's say, some hindrance for me because my basic right of having personal life as I wanted was not provided. Uzbekistan outlaws being gay. It's punishable by two, about two years in prison. So when a few of James's colleagues tipped off the authorities about his sexuality, he knew the life he had built in the country of his birth would never be the same again. Once you're reported to the police as a gay person, you, one is under a great danger to be persecuted, punished, imprisoned. But the thing is, uh, it's not only um, being gay itself was uh, frightening. Uh, I was very mindful that probably I will not survive the prison because um, torture and rape and other ill-treatment in Uzbek prisons is very widespread and systematic. To escape this fate, James enrolled in a short language course in London and left Uzbekistan. He had a supportive friend who helped him get on his feet in the UK. He did return briefly to Uzbekistan, but that would be his final time. I went back and within two months, it was the situation was getting really dire. And whilst I still had my visa to come back to the UK, I, I took the flight. Once he finalized his refugee papers to stay in the UK, James worked on rebuilding his professional life. That's when he came across Kara. He applied for a grant to cover his costs for a course to requalify as a human rights lawyer. James has now finished his courses and is applying for training contracts with a law practice. With a supportive network of friends and um, big help from Kara and other organizations who, who really believe that um, asylum seekers, especially the uh, academic asylum seekers who come to the country 
they are more of an asset rather than um, um, liability. I have to say that Kara's support has been uh, crucial in me re-establishing my life and even daring to think that I can have a normal life, that I won't have to wash dishes in a restaurant till end of my days, let's say. <laughs> Fatifa Gema arrived at Heathrow Airport in 2003, heavily pregnant with two small kids at her side. Upon arrival, she asked to be reunited with her husband, a political asylum seeker who fled to the UK from Algeria. The Black Decade claimed 250,000 lives, the result of a civil war between a faction of the Front of Islamic Salvation, or FIS, and national security forces in the country. At this time in Algerian history, academics, politicians and journalists were caught in between the crossfire. Many were killed and others around 20,000 just disappeared. Latifa herself was classed as a left-wing feminist for her involvement in workers' unions, and her husband, too, had a known anti-fundamentalist stance which put him in harm's way. She and her family, along with millions of other Algerians, had no choice but to leave the country or risk being murdered. After being reunited with her husband, Latifa and her family spent three months in a hotel next to Heathrow. They were told that if they wanted to settle together in the UK, they would need to move outside of London, a part of the UK government's dispersal program, so they were sent to Swansea. As is the case with many asylum seekers, the story of the gamers' arrival in their new home turned out to be only the beginning. There are many unexpected challenges along the way. An assistant researcher at Algiers University before leaving, Latifa heard about the work of Kara on the internet and she applied for a grant to learn English and to receive childcare assistance. Latifa was determined to get the academic career she left back in Algeria on track. She eventually completed a BA in sociology at Swansea University, which with Kara's support led to a completion of a master's degree there. Kara came to Latifa's aid again when her fellowship position came up at the Gender Institute at the London School of Economics. They encouraged her to apply. She was successful in the end. Her time at LSE reignited her passion for academia.
Latifa is currently undertaking a PhD at Swansea in the area of migration, which borrows from her own diasporic experience. To Latifa, her PhD is more than just an academic exercise. As an academic turned refugee, it is a form of catharsis. Stories like James's and Latifa's highlights the fragility of free thinkers in repressive states. Some regimes, indeed some extremist groups, uh, unfortunately, see academics as being the enemy. Um, they see academics as people who will speak out. Who will That's CAR's executive director, Stephen Wordsworth, again. Who are spreading ideas which these governments and these uh, groups think are wrong um, morally from their point of view, their very distorted point of view. So they are seen as a little bit like journalists, um, and they do suffer sometimes um, threats, violence, indeed death. Um, in Iraq, some 400 at least uh, academics were assassinated in the years after the, uh, the Western invasion. And uh, that's very clearly a targeted campaign against people who were seen as being a potential threat to one group or the other in, in, that, in that situation. So yeah, the whole range of circumstances. But for these people, um, they have chosen to devote their lives to their, their research, their teaching, their, their academic work. Uh, that's what they can do, that's what they do well. And we want to help make it possible for them to continue because, apart from anything else, it's in the UK's interest as well. These people bring great skills and great talents. And quite apart from their professional skill, if you like, if they're scientists or mathematicians or whatever, uh, they bring with them also the experience of what it means to be somebody who has stood up for academic freedom, who has fought uh, in intolerance. Stephen uh, goes on to say that some academics want to return despite the risk. Uh, many people we're dealing with now don't see themselves as being refugees. They don't want to leave their home countries. If they've had to do it for a short time, they still want to go back. So it is quite common, for example, in the case of Iraqis, something like 90% of those whom we have helped have actually gone back, even though it is still dangerous there. They don't see themselves as being exiles or refugees in the long term. Although in the case of both James and Latifa, the wish to go back, to fight for progress on the ground, is superseded by more unfortunate realities. Conditions may never be right for their return. I'm a British citizen and um, I am staying in the UK. Um, I don't see at the moment uh, Uzbekistan, uh, the regime change or any and a big shift is coming, although oh, we all do endeavor and hope and, and fight for it. But um, I don't see that change coming. I actually, I have lost sense of home, I have to say. When you experience exile, I think what you take with you, uh, especially when you've been forced to exile, you were already politically active, aiming for an Algeria that you, you are in your head. And when you want to return, you want to return to the Algeria you were fighting for, which 
does not exist. For Audible Impacts, I'm Shaw Brumley. That's all for this episode of Audible Impact. Thanks to Stephen Wordsworth at CARA, James, and Latifa Gamar for sharing their stories with us. This podcast was produced and edited by Cheryl Brumley, and a special thanks goes out to Poddington Bear and the Free Music Archive for his songs Grace and Light in Branches. For a full list of all music and sound used in this episode, please visit the Impact blog at lseimpact.com. I'm Sierra Williams, and thanks for listening.